Well, good morning, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Align with Lina. Today is November the 18th, 2019, and I am thrilled to have a guest with me that is sure to give you lots of wonderful things to think about. So Meta was, was introduced to me. Actually, I found her because I was watching an interview that she had done with another colleague of mine, and I was so impressed by what I heard her say that I thought she would be an awesome guest, not only to have on this program, but somebody for me to get to know because of her background and just the being that she is. So please join me in welcoming Meta. And Meta, I don't wanna say your whole last name, so you share whatever of your last name you wanna share with people, since some of them are gonna just listening, be listening in a podcast. Okay. So how do you how do you say your last name? Or so my name? so my name is Meta. Sweet is my middle name, and my last name is Edge, like the edge of a table, the edge of a knife. E D G E. Meta oh. Sweet Edge. Yes. I love that. Sweet is your middle name. That is so perfect. Thank you. <laughs> well, I did not know where Johnson fit in, but in your Facebook profile, that's how people can find you as Meta. Yes, Sweet Meta Johnson Sweet Johnson Edge. Edge. Johnson is my maiden name. Yeah. Um, Edge is my, I joke that I, I changed my name for my, when I became a parent, it was more about wanting to share a, a name for our whole family. Oh, perfect. Perfect. Yeah. Well, let me start with you where I start with everybody. Sure. So share with me roughly how old were you? What was going on in your life when you began to realize that there was more to life than what you had been trained to believe was reality? Yes. So as a child, I grew up in an Episcopalian home. Um, and so God, the church was a part of my growing up life. And I really organically kind of folded into, I loved, I loved church. I loved the songs I loved. We had a really good church, a good community. It was a very intellectual church as well. So as I moved into adolescence, there was this um, strong appeal to putting things in context of the times and how do we bring um, some of the teachings from a long time ago to now in a meaningful way. And so it, it appealed to me uh, um, easily during that time. Um, as a child, I though there were things that were happening for me that really were outside the explanation of some of what I was being taught at, in church. And um, so for example, I would, I would, uh, I, I, I saw a spirit in my room. I was told that was Jesus standing in the corner. Um, it didn't feel like Jesus to me. Um, I was told to just pray that Jesus would make this bad spirit go away, but I didn't sense that it was bad. So there were certain things around sensing um, energy or things beyond the explanation that I was given that was hard for me because I didn't get the support that I feel like I needed at the time. I was yeah. the best support available. But um, uh, another thing I want to say about childhood in addition to that was I was highly, highly, highly sensitive to the idea, any kind of violence, any kind of darkness or scary things. Like I had a ton of nightmares that were not, not really explainable. I had night terrors um, and I had a hard time being comforted there. When I was also another kind of highlight around childhood was when I was really small I remember, I don't know what led me, but I crawled up on the uh, sink uh, in the bathroom and I looked into my own eyes really close to the mirror. I don't know if I was five or six. And I kept asking the question, where did I come from? Where did I come from? Where did I come from? And I got this sensation that 
scared me. Like it was this existential search. I'm feeling cold all over my body as I'm saying it, which is a way that somatically I get feedback that I'm yeah. talking about something in alignment with spirit. So in this very young way, I knew that there was something more than my reality was showing me and what the teachings were. And, but it scared me, right? Like I remember like, Ooh, I got into some kind of transcendental state, snapped myself out of it, scampered off the uh, sink and didn't talk about it and didn't uh, uh, really get any other information about it. But those three really stood out for me. And you and said that was at five? College. Go ahead. I'm sorry. You said that was at five that you had that experience? Five or six years old. Yeah. Yeah. And um, it was definitely kind of a more cosmic, almost stellar. I'm from not from planet Earth. Like it was just really a, a, an odd feeling. So then I just uh, got back here. Um, so that's those are some of the early like sensitivities that I that I had. Um, does that answer your question? Is yeah, that yeah, totally. No, no, no. That's wonderful. So, so yeah. you have had these these glimpses of that there is more. There's more. Um, so then, tell me how how did you then begin to get involved with the field that that you're in? Because you are, give me the correct title of what you do. So I'm a licensed clinical social worker. Okay. I am a psychotherapist. I practice. Um, I, I see people and I provide psychotherapy. Okay. So yeah. social work is a vast range from school social work to adoption, to the prison system, to therapists. And the reason I'm a social worker is in part because my therapist was as well. And I liked her style. Part of what I like about the social work angle with psychotherapy is that it's a strength based instead of pathology based. So what are the strengths that are there that you can build upon with someone not denying the, um, the blockages that are there, but like first, like what's going well or what resources does this person already have? And then the other part that I really like is context. Like what's the cultural context? What's the gender? What's the religion? What's the socioeconomic status that is co-creating an experience and a paradigm within which somebody has to operate? And so that kind of dovetailed really well into my study of metaphysics um, that ended up being my spirituality. Yeah. Um, so I could rewind a little bit of how I got there though, if you want me I to. I would love to hear that. So another important part of my journey is like, I was very connected to God as a child. I was very involved with my church. So while I had these elements of my spiritual experience, that didn't quite fit. It fit well enough and it really um, fed me. When I was a senior in high school, I came to my own awareness that I was attracted to girls, that I was gay. And that was in 1986, 87, okay? And we've come a long way since then. We still have a long way to go with LGBTQ awareness and support. But for me back then, even though my church was on a range, very liberal, it was it was kind of a don't ask, don't tell kind of time around that thing. Yeah. For me, who loves to talk and share and be real, you may as well have told me I was going to burn in the fires of hell, right? So for my personality drive, as well as my love for God, I felt, oh, well, if I'm going to be true to this part of who I'm realizing I am, then I'm going to have to break with spirituality. So I was 16, 17, whatever. So I thought, oh, okay, if I'm going to be true to this 
part of my love and how I am in the world, then I have to drop my religion. Okay. Mm -hmm. I probably should have gotten more consultation on that, <laughs> but I did not. Uh, I need, but I kind of needed to break. I'm realizing now. Yeah. So what that did is it way increased my drinking <laughs> um, because I was more anxious. Uh, yeah. I was, I was also uh, closeted. And so I was the, the pain of not being able to be authentic was mm -hmm. there. Um, I'd already done a little bit of drinking, but not too much. I was very much a good kid and these kind of follow the rule kind of person. Yeah. But I've got addiction in my um, family of origin. Um, my grandmother died in her bed at 55 years old. So it's, it's on both sides of my family and it's definitely in my chemistry. So yeah. I uh, dropped the religion piece, the spirituality piece, and then you've got the pain I was in and then you've got the, anyway, so I drank a lot. I was very functional. I will, I will tell you a lot of people yeah. say I had a high, a high bottom, if you will. Yeah. Um, so basically from my teenage years until about I stopped drinking at 30. Um, but I didn't, you know, I was, I had a good career and all this kind of thing, but in the only way I was able to stop was when my therapist helped me with, okay, you've cut back on your drinking. You've done help. We've gotten help with anxiety and with some codependent stuff, but I was still not well. And she had the wherewithal, thank goodness, to look at me and say, you're having a spiritual crisis. <laughs> There's nothing I can do beyond what we've done. I think at that point, therapy of three years of family of origin and, um, you know, how to manage anxiety and codependence and all that. And I was like, yes. And so she basically helped me realize, okay, you drop this spirituality part of you. It is key to your well-being. There's no way you're going to be able to really stop drinking until you satisfy that part of you. And she yeah. was right. So, yeah. My ability to stay sober, it, it to me, it's more about I reconnected with the thing that I was truly thirsting for anyway, and staying alive and engaged with my spiritual quest and my spiritual practices. That's that's the leading part to me around my own recovery or sobriety, if you want to call it. Yeah, the steps integrates, of course, the higher power is steps two and totally. three. It's, it's all through there. Um, but it's like a living, breathing every day. It's my prime, living spiritually is my primary thing. And then the rest falls under that. Yeah. Oh, no, it's beautiful hearing you say that. And what is so fascinating, and you're actually kind of a classic example of a lot of the younger kids nowadays mm -hmm. coming in with a really strong connection to spirit. Not yeah. that people my age or your age don't, but it's not the norm. And we we come in uh, entering into this incarnation, you know, you're, you're metaphysical, so I'm gonna speak that way and people mm -hmm. who are watching this, this is their language. But yeah. we come in into this incarnation and totally forget our alignment to source sure. when we begin to take on all of the human uh, indoctrination. But you had that alignment, you knew your connection to God and then you chose to give that up for, I, I'm going to call it acceptance, I, I would say, of something else about you. So you literally had to deny an aspect of you while you were making an allegiance to something else. Yes. So you. Not knowing at the time that those were intricately linked. Exactly. And that I didn't have to make that separation. Exactly. Um, thinking back around kind of how 
our soul's path. And in, in, in my studies, it's like when we're born, we have the umbilical cord cut and that's the physical separation we have to have in order for the mother and the child to even survive. And then around two, three years old, we've got the emotional separation. Oh, I can feel different feelings. Between the ages of eight and 12, we're like mental. Oh, I think different thoughts from my environment. Yeah. And then in adolescence, there's a spiritual wounding. And we have that spiritual cut that in those moments truly separates us and we feel completely disconnected. But each yeah. of these severings in my mind, each of these separations, the intent is so we can awaken to and choose to return to come home instead of just be home i believe we absolutely come from source from spirit and we are our choice to inquire to ask the question why Mm -hmm. sends us going away so we can come back by Choice by and choice by conscious choice to realign yeah. and accept it. Yeah. So I uh, use in my work with clients, it's like the ones that do want to explore this spiritual part. I, I will talk in those kind of terms. Yeah. Other people may not be coming in or want to explore that, which is fine. So I have that over here ready, and and I'm in the energy of it. But you know, anyway. Yeah. But I see that same cycle. In human development and life transitions, you know, that choice to are we going to dare to like make that step to go to the next thing that we're doing and then coming home to the true authenticity of who we are. So yeah. it's like a hologram. It's it. And that's part of how for me, I know truth is truth. Yeah. It's like, oh, it is that same thing. Keep showing up in nature. And it's like, you know what I mean? Oh, totally, totally. And and for mm-hmm. me, you know, I've, I've been coaching now for about 12 years. Okay. And, and that's really my training. Um, what is as a life coach. However, mm-hmm. I came into coaching because I went through my own spiritual awakening that started in 2002. And okay. through that journey that that lasted up, I'm going to say the first five years was the dark night of the soul. What I was beginning to discover about me were exactly those stages that you're speaking of, that I did not separate from my my mom, my family of origin, the belief, I didn't separate and receive a, a training that said that I could align with God inside of me. I grew up Catholic. So it was all about God is outside of me. It's watching to see if I'm naughty or nice. And, And of course the punishment was guaranteed. And what I began to realize is that all of this suffering was simply because I was not aligned to the truth that exists a lot inside of me. So I had to do an entire retraining of my mind. The, the whole trust piece that you were talking about, you know, little kids have to learn how to find themselves. And, you know, by those, those uh, such young ages, we have to learn how to trust. But if all your trust is in people who have given you misinformation, then you make an allegiance to that misinformation. In my mind, better in order to survive at that time. Exactly, you have to to survive. So that journey helped me see those things, and then I knew once I got tapped, I was received my calling, if you will, at you know forty something, forty five, that I was going to become. I call myself an awareness coach, but it's really walking people through their spiritual awakening because that's the only people that I work with. You have to know that that's what you're in. But the thing that was so fascinating when I spoke with you that I kind of want to bring this conversation yeah. to is my son, Spencer, my youngest son, started doing drugs when he was 14. 
at this point, I was probably six, seven years. Let me see, five, 10, probably about seven years into my journey, already coaching for maybe about three years. So I had a little bit of experience, a couple of years of experience. And I kept hearing this voice the deeper he went into his drug use, the more adventurous he got, the more dangerous the game got. I kept hearing this voice that he did not need uh, the, the traditional intervention. He needed a soul intervention. He needed to be reminded of the truth of who he was. And I was basically uh, guided every step of the way in creating a program for him. And of course, we use 12 steps to get him to go through all of those stages that when I was an unconscious parent, I couldn't do for him. Um, but now as a conscious parent, I had to help him rework through that trusting his inner voice, not mom and dad, trusting, yes. you know, that relationship with God within, not what the church said, not what the government said, not what the teacher said, not what his girlfriend said. So it was a fascinating process. But how did you work through your, you know, reconnecting spiritually, especially you had a therapist that that saw that that's what was going on? Because I do want to talk about what I what how I see um, addiction. And then I want to know your perspective on that as well. But how yeah. did you work through coming back into your relationship, your alignment with with God after you had turned your back on that? So, um I'll never forget that session. Like I told you, just her like naming that was so powerful. Mm -hmm. And then she gave me Gary Zukov's book, The oh, Seat yeah. of the Soul. Oh yeah. Powerful. That I gobbled up in a weekend and I'm not a fast reader really. <laughs> and his stuff is pretty dense, um, but I couldn't put it down and I just kept moving through it and it would just like washed over me. And then Gary Zukov's work was highly informed by Carolyn Mace's work around yep. energy anatomy, right? Yep. And so I got, I started looking at her material mm -hmm. and um, then um, I just, it kind of cascaded from them, from there, you know, with the Wayne Dyers and the Louise Hay and, and uh, Debbie Ford at the time. Um, uh, she died of cancer some years ago, but uh, she was also a teacher of mine with the dark. Uh, she wrote a book called The Dark Side of the Light Chasers. Oh, yeah. And the name of that book just so it just just was it really touched me. And I think it touched into that part of me that ever since I was a child knew I was a light chaser. Yeah. You know, I've always ch chased the light and wanted the light and that kind of thing. And I tend to be positive and good. And some of that's my training as a kid. But no, I think I just. I, that was told us even as an infant, like there was, I had this disposition of like yeah. happiness and joy. And then over being here, more anxiety <laughs> and fear <laughs> came up that then I medicated. Um, so, so finding some material was really helpful. As far as the addiction piece, um, you know, she did recommend, and I did go to 12 step for a while. Um, and she encouraged me to go, you know, uh, and just listen to see what story would touch me, what, what, what little pieces. And just even the first meeting I went to, there's this guy sitting over here and he just looks amazing. And he says that he's living a life beyond what he ever truly believed could be true for him. Right. And I was like, I want what he has, you know what I mean? And I know I can have what he has. And so that, that stood out to me. Some of some of people's stories of the fixation on and the feeling like you're in a rut and you can't ever quite get out of that addiction rut. 
um, I really related to that. But aspects of the 12 steps that I didn't relate or like to where there was, it was a little too uh, past focused sometimes, a little too negative folk identifying with the victim um, stuff too much and identifying with the pathology too much and the powerlessness too much. So <laughs> there were pieces <laughs> of it that, that I know uh, for me, I didn't end up becoming a long time 12 stepper in part. I, 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 there are aspects of it, but mainly it was my spirituality. Yeah, really. Like I just need to keep, keep feeding this, which was about staying present, staying conscious, staying awake, feeling <laughs> all these things that I would never want to pick up a drink again because it would separate me yeah. from a present moment. So that's my story. Some people need and want and do need to do 12 step throughout in addition to this other stuff. Yeah. But for me personally, it's, it was the spiritual part that was the problem. Yes. And, and my son and I were actually writing a book um, and right. we're, we're titling it uh, a call for love, a mother and son's journey through the hill of addiction and back because what that process showed me. Yes. He definitely went through 12 steps. 12, 12 steps was really important for him because not only did it give him somebody other than mom coaching him. Oh yeah. Which was crucial. He needed to have his own community. He ne he needed to have his own support. And I went to a couple of those 12 step meetings with him. Yeah. And like you said, people were sharing very similar, well, pretty much the same story. Everybody there is aware that they're living a lie. Yeah. They are using the the substance to numb themselves from the pain of the misalignment. They're not being authentically themselves. Yes. And so the 12 steps was really important for Spencer. But one of the things that I, I just kept telling him over and over and over again, and he agreed with it for the most part, rejected it sometimes, and then eventually, you know, made his own decision. But I would say to him, do not claim that you're an alcoholic. You're a divine being having this human experience. And alcoholism is just a way that you're numbing your, your disconnection from God. And right. so, of course, he felt uncomfortable ever telling somebody in these meetings why he didn't want to say he was an alcoholic, but then eventually he came into his own. Yeah. And he did drugs for four years, has been sober for five. But the thing that was most incredible about that experience is that observing Spencer's journey helped me become more clear to the fact that we are all addicted to something. Because like you said, the dark side of the light chasers. I read that book and I've taught so many book clubs with that book. I mean, I, I, I do courses on different books and that was one that I did, I don't know, 10, 12 times because of the power of doing that kind of an inventory, the inventory of projections. And so you, you love that book too for that I reason. I loved it. I flew out there and did some of her workshops. Uh, she was, yeah, it was yes. just great. I what never got to do that. What was also interesting to me is actually during the, my time of awakening, I signed up for the Omega, Omega, they have, you know, whatever their annual um, conference, right? So uh, Wayne Dyer was there, Orion Mountain Dreamer was there, Debbie Ford was there, a um, bunch of, uh, Gary Zukov was there. So I was going to do a breakout session, a Gary Zukov breakout session called Spiritual Partnership. Um, and I signed up for that. But Debbie Ford had one. It was on this dark step, right? But And as a kid, the dark scared the hell out of me and yeah. I have lots of nightmares and all that. So my initial response to dark is not good. Right. Of course I've learned we're supposed to run toward it. Exactly. Yeah. Right. 
at that point I had not learned that lesson, but I did this night because I'm in the hotel room and it was one of those, um, this is another aspect of my spirituality that I've reclaimed and it's growing because I've reclaimed it, which is like that, uh, clear, clairvoyance, clairsentience, clairaudience, you know, this, this way of connecting with wisdom, with spirit. Um, so I'm standing in my hotel room and it's, it was, it was like, I could hear it. This voice that said, and this, you know, from within or behind, or to me, it's my higher self saying to me, uh, Meta, you don't need to go to the spiritual partnership workshop. You need to go to this one about the dark. And I know it wasn't me because <laughs> I didn't want to do it. Uh, and it wasn't a should. It was, this is, this is, this is what you need to do. And so I changed the workshop. She did have another spot and it, her work just, I, I use, uh, you know, Jungian, uh, archetypes as well as projections as a big part of how do we access a we have the healer within b that we have all this vastness of who we are that we've tucked away or truncated off because of these teachings so it's this whole thing so i'm grateful for debbie ford and i enjoy connecting with her in spirit but i'm glad that you've uh taught that oh yeah i when i found that book probably i'm going to say maybe two years into my journey yeah i i absolutely uh, realized the importance of what was happening to me, mm -hmm. which was I had already had two years where I was, my whole mind was being blown wide open as I was beginning to understand that I could actually have a personal relationship with God. Uh, those were things that were not taught by, by, you know, in the Catholic church, yeah. I could have a, a personal relationship with Jesus, but Jesus was special and the only son of God and the only, you know, beloved, holy, whatever. So I could never achieve that status. And when mm -hmm. I began to realize that I could have this, this personal relationship with God, yeah. and I'm reading books that are telling me, like everyone that you listed, Carolyn Mays, uh, Wayne Dyer, and so many others, yes. or Raya Mountain Dreamer loved her book that just gave me such inspiration. She but was at the conference. It was so great. Oh, that's so awesome. Yeah. So awesome. But I began to realize that I was chasing that light. I was chasing the light that I was being told is what God is. And once I began to understand that God is energy, that yes. it is the this this consciousness, this light, this this substance that is what love is and holds everything together. Yeah. I became addicted to that. I was chasing the light. Uh -huh. And as I was watching Spencer move through his journey, I began to realize wait a second, this, I gave birth to that child. I saw his light when he was born. Mm -hmm. I had 14 years of watching him standing in his light many, many, many times. But what had happened is it was slowly fading. That light was slowly fading because he was being conditioned and I was part of it. And I gave him full permission when we were doing, um, when, when he allowed me to coach because our deal was, uh, you're okay. You're allowed to do drugs with me. I did not make him give up the drugs. I said, but you have to, when you come down from your high, you have got to let me coach you. And during those coaching sessions, anything, any issue with me was okay. I wanted to hear it. And of course, I was part of what taught him to give up his power. You know, you got to listen to mom, you got to listen to dad, you've got to listen to others. And watching him little by little, lose the connection to his own inner light. What else could he do but chase that alignment somewhere else? So he began to chase that because that alignment feels like, like peace, like acceptance, like love, like wholeness. 
And if you're not feeling that, you have to search it. You got to go find it. You, 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 we're addicted to that piece because it's our natural birthright. It's our natural state. Did you find that 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 was your experience as a child that you, when you were in alignment, is how you felt? Like absolutely. Hope? absolutely. And when I think about, and I'm thinking about clients that I've seen too. Uh, what I've come to understand, what I've come to experience through people's stories and my own, is that I find that especially for kids who have that are highly sensitive or tend to be more intuitive. All kids are, I believe they have, they have those unfamiliar senses. And, um, but my sense is that some people in this, this particular life, that's a higher purpose or something to like really come into alignment, you know, and it doesn't make us, doesn't make me inner better than anybody else but there's something about the spiritual element of who i we've got four bodies we got a physical body a spiritual body an emotional body and a mental body we have four so the spiritual one for me in this life like there's something around all four in alignment authentically expressing themselves that just has to be okay so so being able to sense more of the world then i sense more of the world's pain right we yep. can't as Brene brown talks about we can't selectively numb right you know, we, and we can't selectively feel, right? It's the full spectrum. So I find that if you're highly sensitive, that you're actually more highly at risk for getting on the addiction path yeah. because the pain, think of people, think of uh, people that have sensitive skin, right? Yeah. Their sunburn is worse than yeah. those that don't have that condition. They need to protect from what, the environmental factor for everybody else is yes, it's still painful and got to put on sunblock, but it's not as devastating. So yeah. I think their pain can be greater. And then to your point about the sense of goodness and pleasure and alignment, when they find something that brings them back to this state of peace, yeah. Oh, it becomes while it's false, it initially yeah. <laughs> has that. I mean, alcohol is called spirits for a reason, right? Exactly. And exactly. An initial an initial yeah. release of and connection to yeah. a state of well-being and connection. Yeah. But it lasts that long and it's debilitating from there. Yeah. So it's a stand-in that then perpetuates a cycle of addiction, which is avoidance of pain, pain down here, that hurts. Let me get pleasure up here to escape it. That wears off, that's painful. And now I've also got shame added to it. Yep. Let me take more of that thing. And then it creates its own thing up here with wow. the bio, the chemical piece that's there and the behavioral piece. And so that's why the 12 step stuff is key and important. Yeah. You yeah. know, and I will, I want to say one more thing about the support I got while I didn't stay in 12 step very long. I attended my, basically my therapist acted as my sponsor and she started a metaphysics group, a spiritual group in her practice. So I was in group four years. So the community piece, the circle, the sponsor, the elements of that were there for me. So if anyone is listening, I think it is, it, I know it is more than just reading the books, that having a person, a sponsor, whatever form that takes in, in a community for accountability and support and discovery is really important too. So I wanted to say that. Absolutely. That, that is, is, key. I've noticed that 
um, not only whether you're coming in through the realm of addiction or just you're going through a spiritual awakening. Mm -hmm. I see the greatest progress in my group um, my group coaching classes mm -hmm. and and it, it is just powerful because you bond and you hear that you're not the only one going through this because as we're developing that egoic voice that voice that is the one that sends us into this addiction to tell us that we're not okay we got to go find something yeah. it's wonderful to hear that other people are hearing that same dysfunctional voice yeah but something that i want to add to what you were saying which just so powerful and 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 amazing when we begin to create that need for something to make us feel better, those drops are become just as 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 wide apart from our balance as those highs, kind of like a pendulum. So you go up 10 degrees, you're going to drop nine degrees. You go up, you know, 40 degrees, you're going to drop 39 degrees before that pendulum comes back into into alignment. That's why it takes such a long time, because when you create an addiction mm -hmm. that, let's say, takes you to, you know, that pendulum swings um 90 degrees well it's going to take 89 on the other side that discomfort before you can come back to that 88 uh, yes. and work your way back and and it takes a long time to retrain our mind into shifting what we're believing about ourselves that has us go looking for that peace outside of ourselves and that was one of the things that was so powerful about watching spencer because he was as much a coach to me as i was to him Mm -hmm. Because at the exact same time that Spencer started doing drugs, he started in the, the summer of 2010, I got married, the, remarried the fall of 2010. And as I was watching Spencer do his drugs and my then new husband begin to get activated by the amount of time that I was spending with Spencer, mm -hmm. my husband's jealousy began to activate in me this fear. And I began to realize all right, Spencer's out partying, getting high because he can't handle the pressures of school. Mm -hmm. And I thought to myself, why did I need that extra margarita? And I began to look at what am I numbing? Because I'm usually not a drinker and I don't have really uh, an addictive personality. Although looking back, I have many addictions. You know, yeah. people pleasing was an addiction. Looking yeah. good was an addiction. I have major yeah. shopping addiction. Yeah. And I began to realize that when I took that margarita, it took the edge off of what I was, the fear that I was feeling around my husband being jealous. And I began to, to really get clear that, oh my gosh, we are all addicted to feeling peace, but what we use to get to that peace is what is completely out of alignment with our true nature. Yes. So I had to confess to my son, well, I'm an addict too. <laughs> yes. And it was so empowering to him to hear that, but it was so empowering for me to then come into my place of integrity and honesty with that. Sure, I was coaching about getting into alignment with source, but I was losing my alignment when I was looking for my inner peace outside of myself. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. How do you see that in your practice, the, you know, having to retrain people's minds into shifting what they believe about themselves to come back into alignment? Uh, yes. Short answer. Yes. I will tell you that, um, you know, when you said edge to take the edge off and it never takes the edge off, it just uh, it numbs, numbs the sense of that edge. Exactly. And it robs us of connecting with the full range of what 
of information that's there about the edge, which includes the stuff of what are my beliefs? What are my attitudes? What are my thoughts, my feelings, my decisions, my choices that are contributing to this feeling of this edge? So here I am, I'm sitting there. You're saying that you're feeling some fear around your husband's um, His jealousy. Your time with you. So you're feeling pulled, but so the pain of like, but I'm trying to help my kid, but then I'm sensing this thing from him and I wanted people, please, you know, so all of that rich stuff to process. And that's why I in part became a therapist is because I love my own process with my therapist. And so I did a career change and went back to school um, in the middle of my awakening. So that was kind of fun to have the academic as well as the metaphysical stuff. So, um, so yes, I try to, what I teach my clients is the opposite of um, addiction isn't sobriety. The opposite of addiction is connection. And yes, you have so, sobriety brings up i think that inner adolescent going that sounds boring i'm gonna do that you know but do you want to connect do you want to connect yeah but i want to connect and so but what's scary about connecting or what about you connect with that you know so helping people um make those connections and tolerate when connecting does bring up things and so how do we tolerate that okay therapy is a way also like these other helpful modes of using the mind, body, and spirit. So affirmations and runs and or walks in nature, like all these other things to shift our consciousness to where we can connect with the thing, not to just create an exercise addiction or a food addiction. Or cigarette or, addiction, which my son then went to. Okay. Yeah. Right. So, so it may be better, but you know, some people criticize 12 steppers too. They're like, oh, well then they just become addicted to the program or the Schwitz addictions to cigarette smoking or whatever. And, and that's not untrue and necessarily like there's a step down and like, but at least I'd rather someone be addicted to going to meetings than being behind the wheel of a car and putting themselves and other people in danger. You know what I mean? Yeah. But yeah, then I'd like to talk to them about addiction to the meeting, whatever. But yeah, but but it is such an incredible shift. And when when I began to see exactly what you're talking about, there were all of these components that had to be looked at and mm -hmm. re retraining, retraining Spencer to to become more aware, retraining him, mm -hmm. giving him the opportunity to experience meditation. You know, I gave him Randa's book. You know, his mm -hmm. first spiritual book was Be Here Now. And he yes. devoured that book. And what was so amazing is he felt the truth of that book, but his mind was still very conditioned into seeking, uh, chasing the light outside of himself to not feel his dark side. Yes. And it was so incredible because what I became so clear about that not only did it, was it a mirror of my own journey, but it's mm -hmm. a mirror of everybody else's journey is we were raised by unconscious parents, parents who were not conscious of this alignment that we have inside. So when we're not trained from the time we're born to, to meditate, to connect inside, to honor that inner voice, to speak of our feelings and be, and be received as that is our reality and be validated and then taught, guided to how to process those feelings in the moment, in, in our crazy, especially here in the Western world, it's all about instant gratification. And I got to get here. I got to go there. I got to get things done. There's no time to process emotions. We got to get in carpool. Um, it, it's just crazy how we have, we have a paradox in this country. We yeah. teach our children how not to connect when they're little because of this busyness, this, this all focus on the outer world. 
And then we have that on the devices too. Oh my gosh, yes. And then we have all of the freedom that most countries don't have to go on these spiritual journeys and go into the self-help world. So I'm seeing is that these two things eventually are going to come together. We're going to realize, of course, the self-help world is not going to like this because we're going to put them out of business when we start teaching that from the get-go. <laughs> yes. But what an amazing cycle we're breaking. It's a, really a cycle of, of disconnection from the get-go, learning how to connect later on. Yes. Yes. It's an exciting, <laughs> the, the nerd in me. <laughs> very I'm so grateful to be alive during this time in history. Um, just uh, kind of the run of the mill history kind of stuff, but especially from the awakening um, point of view around this really being a, uh, a shift in consciousness and a shift in earth consciousness, a, a shift in human consciousness, really uh, kind of how I see it is from an adolescent kind of vibration to an adult vibration. Uh, and so the, the adolescent, energy is really out there right now and it's darkness um yeah. around um you know certainty and black and white thinking and um that sense of eternal youth that i can do anything and anything and it doesn't matter what but and the narcissism of all of that you know but also the energy around adolescence is also extremely wonderful with possibility and where i'm headed you know what i mean and so i'm trying to when I think about the frustration of where things are, I see it as we're right here at this precipice of this next, this next um, level of development. So I'm happy to be aware. And part of my bigger idea of like, how can I individually with clients help raise their consciousness? So then collectively it goes up. And also, of course, I'm dealing mainly with adults. A lot of them do have kids. A lot of them are in relationships. They're bringing that raised vibration into the relationship. Some people are bringing their partners in and then that helps or they're leaving that partner and go and find someone more yeah. appropriate to their level of being. It's helping their parenting. So this whole new babies are coming in. I'm getting all excited. So me um, too. You know? <laughs> um, in social work, I found in school, you've got people that are really drawn to the community-based work and people that are drawn to more of the individual and smaller group-based work. And I'm I'm more of a one-on-one. -on -one. I love teaching and workshops and that, but uh, I get what really turns me on is that individual, that relational aspect of therapy yeah. that um, that I love. So anyway, so that one by one, if instead of that light being dim, like you were seeing happen in your son, letting that shine, it's just like, you know, passing that candle and the whole thing and all that. Um, exactly. That's exactly. where I try to focus instead of just what is one person? What can I do? It's like, mm -hmm. not to. I love that. So you opened up a conversation. Let's, let's dive into that a little deeper. Um, like you, I absolutely feel that we are in the sh in a shift in consciousness. Humanity as a whole is maturing. Yes. And we are having to face as you, we see right now in politics, this, this insanity of having adults who actually act like teenagers. I mean, we're looking at presidents who act like eight-year-olds. Um, yes. To be able to see that the outer is a reflection of the inner, for me, it's a lot of fun now that I understand the process of yes. how we disconnected. So everybody outside is nothing more than a collection of disconnected people, just as I was. So hearing you say that that's what you're feeling, sensing as well, is yeah. really exciting because what I am seeing is more and more people saying, that behavior is just not okay. Even though they were participating in that, as I know I did for so long, 
there is such a calling to come back into this this awareness this finding your peace finding your your civility finding your compassion finding your connection to me that's the collective of the light chasers we we are inherently created to connect with source but collectively we have been so dysfunctionally raised um and of course we can get into all of the the, the teachings for control and, and all of that craziness, but you know, it doesn't really matter now at this point, we are beginning to see that a lot of the things that we were sold about religion, about, you know, power, about money and, and how external things make you happy. We're seeing that they don't make sense. One of the best things that happened to me was the stock market crash, because mm -hmm. when that happened, I was a realtor. At the time, we also had some investment properties and then all of those things began to crash. My marriage to my, my baby daddy was falling apart. So as my career's crashing, our money's crashing, my marriage is crashing, I began to see firsthand, well, my happiness didn't come from anything external. If anything, my suffering got activated mm -hmm. by all of these moving pieces outside of me. Mm -hmm. That was such a profound, um awareness for me that i had become attached to things that in the world inherently move mm -hmm. and it forced me to have to come to that place within where i can be grounded mm -hmm. and all of this massive turmoil is the ungrounding of of everybody seeing how we have placed our thought that the light was out there somewhere absolutely and all this stuff around power you know uh <laughs> i think a light part of all of this to me is like us going, wow, we really have given away so much of our power to these leaders and to these systems. And I think, I think I'm going to take on some of that myself. I'm like, even, even, you know, you'll see places like buy local, right. You know, so there's more about even local commerce and stuff like that. And like, I think I, I, I like to see that as a reflection of like where, what am I, who, who am I? What's around me versus giving away? And frankly, I think we can be lazy. Is it, yeah, somebody else oh, is going to yeah. take care of it. Somebody yeah. else is going to legislate correctly. Somebody else is going to. And part of the pain of seeing all this exposure of the stuff under the surface that frankly has been there all along, we're having yes. to look at it. It's up and out. You know, people are marching without their Ku Klux Klan things anymore. They're just like showing their faces. And so while that's awful, it's also like, well, good. At yeah. least we're seeing. And we got to deal with this in another kind of way. Yeah. We just do. Yeah. You know, we cannot, those of us, oh, it, it'll be okay. Okay. Well, let's put that in action versus it'll be okay. And I'm going to sit back. How can I participate in making that okay? And I got to start here. And then in my relationships and in my community. And then the swell of how are we gonna change the country and the world and whatever else. Yeah, because we are seeing the the light that is on the planet. We are seeing the consciousness that is seeking to, to take care of the earth, to take care of people, mm -hmm. to be compassionate. We're seeing that light is intensifying. Mm -hmm. Of course, with more light, it's like walking into the kitchen in the middle of the night when you turn the light on, that's when you see the bugs. You don't see the bugs when the lights are off. That's a good one, I like that one. So we are seeing right now with all the light on the planet, all of the bugs, like you said, it's been there all along. When yeah. we are disconnected from our true self, it doesn't matter who we hurt, we are, we are out there doing whatever we can to, to, to give us a sense of power 
even if we take it from others. And we're seeing that we've all been doing that. So yeah. it, it is really, to me, what's happening right now is just a, a collective awakening and the whole blaming game has to end because you cannot heal if you're blaming. And it really is fascinating to watch, um, to watch the spectacle of the inner dysfunction that every single one of us has, has been exposed to. You know, when you do this work is to see it out there playing out because I look at Trump and he is such a reflection of me. Oh my gosh, my greedy self, did I take advantage of tax laws to benefit me? I, absolutely I did. Mm -hmm. Did I want to help my friends when I had positions of power? If I was in charge of a committee or whatever, did I circle myself with those who would have my back? Yes, I did. Yes. Did I take advantage of somebody, you know, of a situation sexually because it benefited me and I didn't care about my, you know, my lover's wife? Yeah, I did that too. So yes. I cannot be blaming, you know, anybody because I have that same potential. And that's exactly what I picked up from Debbie's book, The Dark yeah. Side of the Light Chasers, is that we are projecting onto Trump this, you know, he's supposed to be the president and powerful, but yet he also has all of those things that are dark that are inside of us. Yes. And to use that mirror is so right. amazing, but that's exactly what Spencer had to do to work through his addiction. Mm -hmm. He had to see his light, his amazingness, and he had to also see how wicked he was, how, you know, despicable he was, just like me. <laughs> and I used to have to, when I would hear him say these things, I'm like, oh boy, you learned that from me, didn't you? <laughs> that horrible quality, I'm guilty. Yeah. But that level of response. I find an, an addiction that it's so shame-based yeah. uh, at, at the point where people tend to be at when they seek out recovery, you know? So I focus so much on the light, so much on doesn't it make sense that you numbed yourself in this way, so much on um, really thanking um, alcohol, thanking shopping, thanking, you know, there's an attachment. There was a book called Drinking a Love Story. Oh, my God. I just love that title, Drinking a Love Story. And she talked about really the attachment model of addiction, which is there's this positive attachment to this thing that temporarily saves you. And then when someone says, you know, drop that thing, it's like saying, you know, get rid of your favorite, you know, teddy bear. Yeah. It's just, it's not, it's, it's painful. And then especially when people are like, oh, you shouldn't have ever connected with that at all. So I, I approach it much, uh, definitely from a, a light perspective at first. And then with compassion, how can we either redirect that, that, that intention? I do a lot with, um, I work a lot with, uh, transform harnessing and transmuting energy versus plucking it out and putting it away. I don't think it works that way. Yeah. I um, agree with you. you know, agree with like you. The part of you that was wanting that escape from, you know what I mean? So anyway, so approaching it from compassion and thanking, it's really a protective part of who we are, but you don't want it to lead your life because it on its own becomes a hyperactive, destructive, mono-focused yeah. thing that will destroy us. Yeah. And I loved your your um, definition of the opposite of addiction earlier. You said it was an action, right? Yes. So That's to me- I hold it. Yes. No, I, I completely. 
um, I, I call it alignment. So it's it's the same thing is is aligning all the aspects of myself and connection uh -huh. is connecting all of the pieces of me. And when Spencer and then other clients that have come to me because they they have addictions, I I would say to them, do you realize that when you took those drugs or that alcohol, that was the most loving thing you could do for yourself in that moment? Because in that moment, in that moment. you needed to feel okay. And that was the the best way you could love yourself. But now mm -hmm. that you have that awareness, there are other ways that are healthier for you to love yourself. Yeah. So I love hearing you say that you help your clients look at things that is the best that you could possibly do. I'm, I'm going to read that book, Drinking a Love Story, because it is we have to connect with that part of us that was really seeking for a form of love. love. But if you don't understand at an early age, how to love yourself, well, you're gonna look for love in all the wrong places. It is inevitable. So mm -hmm. we have to make peace with you know, our upbringing, all of the ways that we disconnected from our inner source and then yeah. went out to do the best that we could to find that connection. Yeah. Um, and everybody does it. So there's not a single person that isn't out of alignment yeah. When you live in this world that that trains you to to seek outside of yourself to become somebody to to do something that makes you successful or special, it, it's that validation externally that disconnects us from that wholeness internally. Absolutely, so you can't blame somebody for that. Well, Meta, we're coming to the top of the hour. So tell me, yeah. how can people find you? And what are the things that you would like for people to know about you so that, you know, if, if they're in need of something that you offer, they, they know that you would be the person to do that. Besides, you know, we talked a little bit about you doing one-on-one -on -one work, but you have a center. So yeah, what else so, can they um, I, uh, My spouse and I opened the center in part uh, to address some of the stuff that we're talking about today. So it's uh, edgetoedgecenter.com. And what we're, what we're creating here is, yes, we have therapists here that specialize in trauma because a lot of uh, the pain, we, we got to get to the pain there, right? As well as addiction professionals that understand the nature of addiction. And the um, so we have these wonderful therapists that provide individual and group therapy. But we also have space up here for um, classes and workshops that provide, um, I provide a metaphysics group where we talk about these spiritual elements. I do a meditation once a month, uh, I call it Sunday pause. So a, a time to pause and be present and replenish. So trying to model some of these uh, ways of staying connected to self and source. Um, so um, we're, we're, we've only been open for a year and a half and we're trying to find that middle ground between 12 step or uh, inpatient recovery and being out on your own um, with this stuff with with just books, you know what I mean? So we're finding this, this place between. So you can read about it more on edgetoedgecenter.com. Okay. Oh, that's wonderful. And right. and one of the things that is so impressive to me is that you bring that whole metaphysical perspective, which is why I've referred some clients to your practice. Yes, um, absolutely, absolutely. Because having that combination of, of psychotherapy and metaphysics, we're yes. moving more and more towards that. So you you are on the leading edge of, of that. Yes, I definitely realized that I am. And I, my therapist uh, 20 years ago, when I started with her, you know, she was definitely on the leading, leading edge. But I'm realizing that there is a uniqueness to my approach of like having this spiritual as well as psychological basis. And um it's fun to know that. And I feel like that's just who I've always been, just somebody that's wanting to 
push the edge of like, who am I? Why are we here? But has this also way of being here and uh, talking about the psychological and stuff as well. No, that's beautiful. And, you know, maybe one of these days I can come to your center. I do no, a, a complimentary um, presentation. I call it the, the the soul's journey. And it's the six phases that we move through from how we disconnect okay. from our truth to how we reconnect. Let's talk six about simple it. Simple faces. Yeah, it's, a, it's, an, it's an easy hour, hour and a half uh, presentation. No, but I, I am so grateful that you were willing to do this conversation with me because I cannot wait for the day that there's no more shame around exploring our addiction. Isn't that wonderful? Remove that guilt because all it is is a sign that we're waking up. And yes. until we we understand that that is what everybody is moving through, um, this process of becoming sober is just so hard and difficult and, and shameful and, and uncomfortable. There's so. a there's a phrase out there that I heard years ago that is um, addicts or spiritual seekers showing up at the wrong address. <laughs> and I liked it. I don't know where it came from, but I thought, you know, and, and I'm sure it doesn't 100 percent apply, but by and large, that's what I find. That is so beautiful. That is so beautiful. So I want to thank everybody that was with us. And I, I saw, you know, we had quite a few people watching. So thank you for being a part of this. If you enjoyed this, give us a quick little shout out. Um, but next week, I'm going to have I'm have a returning guest. His name is is Elliot Robertson. And I'm inviting Elliot back because he is like I a student of A Course in Miracles of A Course of Love and of the Way of Mastery, which are all channeled material by Jesus. And he is a poet. He's just an incredible guy. So I want him to come back and continue a conversation that we started a few months back. So join me next Monday for um, Align with Lina. And remember, everything that you could possibly ever desire to experience is right inside of you. All we need sometimes is somebody who can point the way, but it is in you. Don't look for it outside of you. It is in you. Thanks so much. Thank you so much for joining us. And Meta, thanks for being here. Thank you very much. And uh, we'll see you guys next week. Take care. Bye-bye.